So, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We're in the book of Matthew. And we've graduated to the 10th chapter in just 28 weeks. And this chapter begins with the call of the disciples, the name of the disciples, and the sending of the disciples. And with this sending, we get some of the most humbling and frustrating words in Scripture, if you're not Jewish. And I want to preface this with the assurance that as a teacher here at Sar Shalom, I only want to teach the truth. I only want to teach what's in the book. I don't try to make it say what I would like it to say or make excuses for what it says. And before we get to the verses I want to focus in on today, I want to say something that will begin to qualify some of the things that I'm going to say and have said in the past. You know, when, when I teach... You'll seldom hear me say, I believe. I try just to do commentary on the passage that merely clarifies the passage. And I'm not not trying to tell you that you never get my opinion, but I, I do try to stay away from that sort of thing. And here's the reason. There's the truth of the Word of God, and then there's opinion. There's conjecture. There's theory. As an example, for the past last couple of weeks, I've had people come to me and ask me about the good news of being one of total restoration of body and spirit. And if you go downstairs, there's a teaching series on healing. And I bring that to an even fuller degree that the good news includes healing of our physical bodies. And let me say, when I'm speaking of healing, I'm only relaying what Scripture says. This is an opinion. As an example, if we look at Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, it says, Yeshua went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, it says Yeshua preached the good news and healed every sickness and disease. The point I'm trying to make... There was healing of the effects of sin. That was part of the good news. And this is just one of many, many places that it says this. In fact, there's nowhere in Scripture that says anything different. And so, of course, that's what I teach. Listen to what, when Yeshua sends out His disciples to preach the good news, before He sends them, He says this in chapter 10 and verse 1. He called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. He sends them out to preach the good news and they go out and heal every disease and sickness and drive out evil spirits. And you can follow the disciples as they preach the good news. That's what they do. They heal, drive out demons. Until we read in verse 17 of chapter Luke about the 70 who returned. It says, the 72 who returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. You see, so when I say the good news they preached was one of healing body and spirit, and that that is the good news, that's not my opinion. It's stating what Scripture makes clear and making no excuses for it. However, if I say, oh, that was for then but not for now, that would be my opinion. And that would be my making excuses. Not Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture does it say 
that the good news Yeshua preached is not available for us today or it has changed. And if I try to make an excuse for why we may not see some healings here today, then that's my opinion and conjecture and not what Scripture says. Because if I go by what Scripture says, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the good news then is the good news now. All of that to prepare us for this humbling message that we get today. And again, this is just what Scripture says, declares the plain meaning of the text. Yeshua is sending out the shepherds. He's prepared. In verse 5 of chapter 10. And it reads this way. These twelve Yeshua sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter into any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or staff for the worker is worth his keep. And so again, as they go out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, what do they do? Heal the sick, drive out demons. Because where we see the good news preached in Scripture, this is what we find. That's not just opinion. That's what the Bible says. So that's not what I want to preach on today. What I want to talk about, and the hard part of the message today, is this. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any of the towns of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Elsewhere, we're told this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 24. It says, He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So, you know, you read this and then you ask yourself, how is it? That Yeshua is sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And yet, if we look back through history, we see the good news had its greatest acceptance among the nations. The two-house movement uses this verse to make the point that we must be descended from the lost tribes because Yeshua came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We'll try to show that assumption to be incorrect today. Verses like this have caused non-Jews to wonder about how and where do we fit into the plan of God. And that's not all because it gets worse. If you go, if you go and you read the prophets, Gentile identity in Messiah is almost non-existent. And at best it would be related to a back seat somewhere so far back in the bus that it's hardly distinguishable. And the reason is easy. Messiah was promised to the house of Israel. He was coming to the house of Israel. Over and over we're told this. Last week at the Onig table, there was a discussion of Daniel chapter 9 and the Messiah's coming and the promise of the Messiah. It all begins like this. I want to read from it. Daniel chapter 9 verse 20 says, While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for His holy hill while I was still in prayer. Gabriel, the man I had seen earlier in a vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice and he instructed me and said, Daniel, I have now 
come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Consider the message and understand the vision. While he was praying for Israel, this vision of the Messiah comes to him. Daniel's vision for the Messiah was given as he prayed for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Messiah was to come for the people of Israel. And if we go to Isaiah 52 and 53, this great revelation of the Messiah by Isaiah, we get some of the greatest revelatory passages about Yeshua. The whole thing begins this way in Isaiah 52. Awake, O Zion! Clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, O Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and the defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust. Rise up. Sit enthroned, O Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains around your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For this is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. The promise of the Messiah was given to Israel, the Hebrew people. God does not change his mind. And the promises of God do not change. Not only that, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance on his part. The whole of Scripture was given to the people of Israel. And through the people of Israel given to us. God has been dealing. You have to understand that by the time Matthew writes his gospel, God has been dealing with the Hebrews since the time of their father Abraham for 2,000 years. And listen to what Shaul says. In Romans chapter 9 and verse 4, he says, The people of Israel, theirs is the adoption as sons. There is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Messiah, who is God over all, praised, forever praised. Amen. And notice what it says. Israel, the adopted sons of God. The people of Israel are the sons of God. Are they the only sons of God? Well... Let's see if we can answer this in the next few minutes. But next it says, they received the covenants, the Torah, the temple worship. And I want to focus on the covenant, the new covenant. You know, we're all quick to proclaim that we're part of the new covenant. Right? But let me say, the covenants were given to Israel. Listen to the proclamation of the new covenant, which was first proclaimed by Jeremiah and then restated for us in the book of Hebrews so that we clearly understand. Listen to what it says. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Notice what it says. The new covenant is with the house of Israel and Judah. Do you see any provision here for the nations? I don't see anything. It was given to the people who are Israel. Let's read just a little bit farther. Verse 32. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Lest there be any mistake, lest there be any misunderstanding, 
I don't read anywhere that my Irish ancestors were at the foot of Mount Sinai and received any covenant. He's talking about Israel. Let's read on. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord because they'll all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sin no more. Again, lest there be any doubt about the covenant that we all profess to be a part of, it was given to Israel. And it's not revocable. It's not revocable. As we're going to read next, verse 35. This is what the Lord said, who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and the stars by night, who stirs up the sea so that the waves roar. The Lord Almighty is His name. If only these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will the descendants of Israel ever cease to be a nation before me? This is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be searched out, will I reject the descendants of Israel because of what they have done, declares the Lord. Do you see that? It doesn't make any difference what they do. The call of God is not revocable. Israel are the people of God. And Messiah came to the people of God, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now when you read these things, you can begin to understand how replacement theology worked its way into Christianity. Theologians read things like this and understood the promises were given to Israel, so now the church must be, must be Israel. Something's changed because we're the church now. But as we can see from the words of Jeremiah, that doesn't fly. Because verse 32 says, It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. You see, unable to resolve and reconcile this problem, theory and conjecture became part of Christianity. And the church developed an allegorical method of teaching whereby Scripture doesn't really mean what it says. But it's all just an allegory. And with that, Israel of the prophets is not the Hebrew people, it's not the Jewish people, but it's the church. Whatever the church is, because I have to tell you what we call church and think of as church is not scriptural either, but that's another message. Not only that, it's why British Israelism in the two-house movement is so popular. It tells people that they're part of this through some lost heritage. They're the lost tribes entitled to these promises, thus solving this identity crisis for the Gentiles. And that's a great opinion, but it's not what Scripture declares. It's not fact. The fact is, Yeshua came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and not only that, He tells His disciples, don't go among the Gentiles or into the towns of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And you know, why would he say that? And yet his disciples eventually go to the Gentiles and the Samaritans. In fact, Yeshua himself offers the good news to a Samaritan woman by the well. He tells the disciples in the story of the centurion that many will come on that day and take their places with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob at a great feast. 
the feast being the messianic banquet in the world to come. It's a mystery. But you have to, after reading these texts and others, admit, how could Yeshua come for anything else but the lost sheep of the house of Israel? How could it be that He would come for anything else? He couldn't. Who would have believed He was the Messiah if He came and He said, Look, the Father's changed His mind. Now you Hebrews are not the people of God. Israel is not what we've led you to believe. It's really your oppressors who are the people of God. It's Rome who are the people of God. And we're going to go forth and gather them and make something new called church. I don't think Yeshua would have been able to gather many disciples with that message. I don't think he would have ever been crucified either because he'd have been stoned first. I can tell you that if I were reading that after reading the rest of Scripture, I would stop and say, wait a minute. I thought God was the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, Yeshua had to come for the lost sheep of Israel. He had to come to the lost sheep because that's what Scripture says he was going to do. And all of that aside, then you have to think, well, where does that leave us as Gentiles? If the promises are to Israel, and Yeshua came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, where does that leave me? A Gentile. Well, the way I read my Bible, it leaves me scrambling to become part of the lost sheep of Israel. <laughs> right? It leaves me running to those of the house of Israel. I want to be a member. And rightfully so. And not only that, it's exactly what Shaul declares in chapter 11 of Romans. We've been grafted in to the olive tree. The olive tree being Israel. Listen to what he says in Ephesians. Chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore remember... That formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Messiah. Excluded from citizenship in Israel. Foreigners to the covenants of promise. Without hope. Without God in the world. You see, as Gentiles... You were without hope. You were lost. You were without God in the world. You were outside of Israel. And Yeshua came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You were not citizens in Israel. You were not part of the Kehilat, the assembly, that which we erroneously call church. Because here's a secret. The assembly Yeshua speaks of what we call church is none other than the house of Israel. And you and I were without citizenship. We were foreigners. You were not related by blood. And no twisting of scripture through allegory would ever make it so because you were foreigners to the covenants, to the promises. You were outside of Israel. Verse 13 says, But now, in Messiah Yeshua, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Messiah Yeshua. 
But now you've been brought near. The offering of Yeshua was one that made the lost sheep of the house of Israel, made them able to be brought near once again. Because that's who He came for, the lost sheep. So that those like Matthew and John and others who put their trust and faith in that offering who lay hands on that offering and plead and make appeal for forgiveness and reconciliation would find that reconciliation and peace. He put to death the hostility, the enmity between us and God because of sin, because of our transgressions of the law and made peace between us and God. And so Shaul continues to solve this mystery for us as we continue in verse 19. He says, Consequently, You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Messiah Yeshua himself, the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You are no longer foreigners. We're not foreigners any longer. But we are now part of God's people. We are now part of Israel. Not by your blood, but by His blood. Not by your birthright, but by and through Yeshua. Not by any allegory which replaces Israel, But it's plainly stated in the text for us. It's one which grafts us in and doesn't replace Israel, but expands it. And you are included and you are part by the sacrifice of Yeshua. You don't have to cut your flesh and jump through the hoops of the rabbis because Yeshua made you part by His sacrifice. All you have to do is trust that. You see, the question should arise for us in Yeshua's statement, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The question that should arise is not who are the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but who are the sheep who are not lost when Yeshua came? Who were the found sheep of the house of Israel when Yeshua came? If He came for the lost sheep, who were the found sheep? Did you ever think about that? Well, let's look at the first man to ever be called Israel. We begin to understand. Genesis chapter 32, verse 24. So it says, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that it was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, What is your name, Jacob? He answered. And the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called called that place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel. 
And he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the portion of the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. You see, this whole story starts out with a Hebrew. And his name is Jacob. And he's nothing more than a striver, a heel grabber. And then he struggles with God. And he overcomes. He wrestles and he struggles with God. And he loses the match. The socket of his hip is touched and his walk through life is changed. And he limps away. And in losing the match, his life is changed. He loses who he was and he becomes Israel. And it's a match we all must wrestle if we're to be victorious. If we're victorious in our will, in our desire, control our lives, afterwards, we will not receive a new name. But if we lose the battle with God, and He becomes the ruler of our lives, and He changes our walk through life as as He did Jacob's, then we, like Jacob, will receive a new name as well. We become the Israel of God. Yeshua has put the death, the enmity that stood between us and now we must lose our walks in our lives, in Him. And then we become the Israel of God. Yeshua is who Jacob wrestled with that night and he lost and Yeshua was Lord of his life and he was given the new name Israel. You see, Matthew solved all this for us in chapter 2 and in verse 15 when he quoted Isaiah and he says, or Hosea, Hosea 11.1 says, when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt I called my son. Matthew tells us that refers to Messiah. When Israel was a child, I loved him and I called him out of Egypt, my son. Written of the Messiah Yeshua, Israel is and always has been the lost sheep who put their trust in God and in Messiah. And to answer our question, the question I asked earlier, who are the found sheep of the house of Israel? If he came for the lost sheep, who were the found sheep? Well, the fact is, there were no found sheep. There was no found sheep when Messiah came. Isaiah 53 states, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Outside of Messiah Yeshua, everyone is lost. And that's why Shaul says this in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even the Israel of God. Friends, there's no special people. There's a special Messiah. And Israel is all those who have wrestled with God and lost and put their hope in their lives in the hand of the man from Galilee. I was going to sing that line, but I changed my mind. (laughs) Israel 
is Abraham, who saw Yeshua's day and was glad. He's going to be at the supper. Israel is Jacob, who wrestled with God and Messiah and overcame. He's going to be at the supper. Israel is Tamar, who would not let go of the promises of God, and she became the grandmother of David and Messiah, and she'll be at the supper. Israel is Ruth, who said, Your people are my people. Your God is my God. And she will be at the supper. Israel are all those who love the God of Israel more than their own lives and loved his community, Israel, his people, their neighbors, as much as they love their own lives. Israel is the Jewish rabbi down the street who has not, and is not willing to accept the Christian, Gentile, Jesus Christ who's presented to him, but is faithfully waiting for the Hebrew Messiah. That's the house of Israel. And who are the lost sheep of the house of Israel? It's those who have now put their trust in God and His Messiah once you were lost and now you're found. Now you're Israel. Now you're found. It makes you one of the lost sheep that He came for. Friends, it's not a matter of blood, this Israel of God. It's not a matter of birthright, this Israel of God. The book is loaded with Hebrews who won't be at the supper. As Shaul says in chapter 9 of Romans, For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are descendants are they Abraham's children. On the contrary... It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the natural children who are God's children, but it's the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Let me also say, you can't ignore the plain meaning of the text and twist Scripture through allegory and become Israel. The Israel of God, it is and it always will be a matter of heart. A heart changed from the wicked thing that it was to a new heart by the work of the Master. A heart changed to a heart that completely loves God, His commands, and His people Israel. Change my heart, O God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O God. Let it be like you. Israel, God's son. Amen?